Thanks for listening to show 36 of the C-Suite podcast, which is being recorded here at the Cass Business School in London. Now, the subject of this episode is creative success in business, which I conveniently stole from the uh, subheading of a new book that we're discussing tonight called In Your Creative Element. I'm Russell Goldsmith, and joining me now is the author of that book, Claire Bridges, who is also the founder of Now Go Create, described on the website as a crack team of uh, creative training and leadership experts. And Claire, who leads the team, is one of the few people in the world to have have an MSc in Innovation, Creativity and Leadership, which she studied here at uh, CAS. Now joining Claire are two contributors to uh, Claire's book, Jerry Hopkinson, co-founder of PR agency Unity, and Dr. Sarah Jones, Senior Lecturer and uh, Course Director for the Masters in Innovation and Creativity and Leadership. Uh, now we've also got a first for the C-Suite podcast, because um, later in the show we're going to be giving you a chance to win a copy of Claire's book, so keep listening out for that and don't just skip through the podcast to the competition. Um, and of course, if you hear anything you want to comment on, then please do share your thoughts on social media using hash C-Suite podcast. Claire, tell us about In Your Creative Element. Hi, everyone. So the question that I set out to answer when I was writing In Your Creative Element is what does it take to be creative in business? And um, during my 17 years working in the creative industries, largely in the PR industry, I had expected to be creative myself. um, And then I got the word creative in my job title and became creative director and was expected to do something about it. So I had so many different questions that I needed to answer when I'd suddenly been pigeonholed into this um, creative um, role. And I really wanted to explore what it takes to be creative, whether you can encourage and indeed give people the skills to be more creative, whether you can drive and develop a creative culture and what makes companies stagnate or thrive or even die if they're not creative. So that led me um, to studying the the MICL, the Masters in Innovation, Creativity and Leadership that you mentioned here at Cass Business School, which is where we are today. And um, the final module of the Masters was one where we had to actually create an artifact, actually physically be creative ourselves. And um, I had been binging on uh, the Breaking Bad box set and uh, and uh, as part of that whole creative process. And so I had all these kind of uh, chemical symbols flying at me um, whenever I had downtime. And uh, so in order to pull together everything that I had learned on the masters, I decided to create a periodic table of creative elements as a poster. So I created it as a poster and we had a show um, that we had to do at CAS, which was pretty nerve wracking, putting your creative work out there and getting people to evaluate it, which everyone who's listening who has to do that is, is in its core part of the creative process. But I had a really great response to it and some of the professors here and, and Sarah, who you're going to talk to in a minute, really encouraged me and said, that's interesting, unique. And we think that you could do something more with that. So um, being a bit impulsive, I then decided to see if I could do something more with that. Approached some publishers and the um, of three publishers I approached, one said, yep, that we think that's an interesting book. So I'm an accidental author, really. Um, and uh, so, but that's how the, the book came to be. Fantastic. And ha- what I was intrigued to know is how long, obviously, w- within the periodic table of all the elements that you got within the book, how long did it take to come up with all the different elements and also to organise it all? I mean, that must have taken a bit of, bit of time and creativity, obviously. So it's interesting because um, in creativity, you often think about this idea of constraints or having to have constraints. And on, on the Masters, you're given a time constraint. So it was a 12-week module. So the task was to come up with a physical 
thing, an artifact that represented your process, and we had 12 weeks to do that. So um, actually, it was it was quite quick in some ways, um, but it, it involved um, re a lot of reflection and then a lot of different iterations of getting through um, what I thought was going to go into the table, um, probably around 300 different elements that I then refined down to the 102 using the exact constraint of the periodic table for the first version. For the book, I've reduced it down to 62 because um, otherwise the book had been twice as long as it is. And what's been the, what's been the feedback so far? The feedback's been really great, actually. Um, the Steve Latham, who is um, head of the training academy at Canline, has said it's the new corporate bible, which I think you can't get much better than that. And um, a lot of other um, very interesting and, and influential people that I respect in the business community have said some great things about the book. I think one of the most um, great bits of feedback that I've had in the past week is that two people have said to me that their teenage um, kids who are doing A-levels or um, GCSEs have actually pinched their book and they can't get it back off them. And to me, that's a really great accolade that it's actually useful. Absolutely. Brilliant endorsement. Um, now, I've only read um, bits of the book so far um, ahead of this podcast, obviously. I want to, but what I want to do is delve into some of the uh, areas that you cover and bring uh, Jerry and Sarah into the conversation at this point. Um, so, Jerry, let's start with you. U Unity has been awarded um, Creative PR Consultancy of the Year by the Homes Report. Um, and in their write-up, it states, pound for pound, you are the most awarded uh, award-winning agency in the world over the past few years. And, and I have to say, I was at the PR Week Awards um, just at the end of, of last year, and I actually sent a note to your, your co-founder, Nick, to say you may as well have moved your table up onto the stage. You were up and down so many times. It was, it was quite funny to watch. But so, so a very, very simple question to you. What have you done at that agency to ensure that creativity comes through in your work? Well, look, I think um, it, it's tempting to say there's one magic bullet, but um, as Claire's pointed out, I think so beautifully in, in her book, it's really about... A, those, those little things that you bring together that kind of create uh, something that's greater than, than the sum of its parts. And I guess the key things that um, we can point to are firstly a culture of, of, creat of creativity and leadership in the area of creativity. And by that, I don't mean that someone sticks their hand up and says, right, I'm going to have all the ideas, but rather um, a culture that says, um, in order for us, to do the work we want to do in order for us to be the agency we want to be and be happy and be successful, then we have to all find a way to be to re realize our creative potential. And that is about setting the right kinds of things in place, the right environment, um, something which I've talked to Claire a lot about, something which you can read in her book time and time again, regardless of who she goes to talk to, and that's the fascinating thing in talking to Claire, actually, is that the kind of things we do by accident that we sort of found out how to do through trial and error yeah. are exactly the kind of things that other people do in similar ways or just because that's what works. And they tend to be, first and foremost, to create an environment of trust where people are allowed to fail, where people are believed in. And it, it might sound, you know, terribly sort of superficial, but that sense of knowing that you, it's okay to have an idea, you're not going to get shouted at, you're not going to get screwed it might not be a finished thought, and it might not even be right in this instance, but mm. you, you, we want them. We want you to think, we want you to have ideas, we want you to explore. So that freedom and that trust is very important, that kind of safety net that exists um, allows people to fail. Um, and I think failures become fashionable as a kind of idea. And when ideas become fashionable, it is often tempting to think everybody's doing it. But I can tell you, because I got the scars to prove it, it's, it sometimes hurts when mm. you screw up, you know, and you fail. 
and you feel like you've let other people down. And that's where trust and that's where camaraderie and that's where support really come into their own when you can figure out how to say to someone, okay, we're in this situation, right, this is interesting. How do we learn from this? How do we get to a good place quickly? And the way you do that is not by dwelling on you know, who messed up, how they messed up, is that, you know, but starting to kind of be a bit more philosophical about it, about relaxing a little bit and going, ideas will come and good ideas will come from occasional screw-ups. Do you, th- do you think there's a different, cu- talking of creating a culture where, where it's acceptable to fail, do you think there is a difference in the culture from, hmm. so American companies compared to yeah. UK companies, there's yeah. a very different culture there, isn't there, in terms yeah. of that acceptance on failure? Yeah. Yeah, there, there totally is, and I, um, I, I think that's true. I think in North America, uh, it's a badge of honor, and it's like you know, you kind of okay, welcome to the club, welcome to humanity, great, you screw, you know, <laughs> and then people start like, kind of going, oh, that's nothing. You should see, I did this and I did that. Getting it off your chest is really a nice thing. Whereas I think perhaps in in Europe, um, in a kind of older society, I have noticed that people are worried about admitting they've made a mistake because others might kind of go, oh, you you shouldn't have done that. Um, And so being able to to be okay with it uh, is important. But look, let's be clear, you know, um, we are sitting in one of the most creative places on earth. And London is a creative hub par excellence. And so this city has figured out how to allow creativity to flourish. And one of the reasons I would say for that, and this isn't a party political broadcast, is because it's a rich place. It's a diverse place. And creativity comes from diversity. I know that for sure. So the more different kinds of people you have together, the more likely you are to get to good ideas. Excellent. Um, Sarah, let's let's bring you into into the chat here. Um, you you lecture here on, on the topic. Um, I know talking to you earlier before recording this podcast, you're very proud of the first book to come out of your course, Absolutely. I believe. So yes. that's So that's pretty good um but just just listening to to jerry talking there uh, i'm interested though how easy do you think it is for older agencies or or businesses that are established in their way in their ways to bring in new creative thinking and also creative processes as well Mm -hmm. well first of all i'd just like to pick up on um jerry's point there about diversity i think that's i absolutely agree that's really important diversity of um individuals in an organization and diversity of approaches diversity of disciplines that um, are brought to the table so i mean that for me is one of the really lovely things about the michael is that the students on the course come from so many different directions and that the content of the course is so diverse coming from so many disciplines and so coming to the question about kind of um, a well-established agencies um, changing their ways and bringing in creative thinking I think that's something that's something that any organization can do is to kind of you know bring in some new influences change of course is going to be difficult um, but I think ultimately change comes from within individuals in the organization. Um, and that's, again, I guess that's something we focus on in on the, uh, Michael is giving the, the people, the individuals on the course, the skills, the confidence, the competencies to um, develop their creativity, um, and then take that into an organization and lead change within that organization. So, you know, I think change comes from within, from an individual, through um, leadership in an organisational context. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've got a question for, for all of you here, and, and this was just something that, because um, it was interesting here, and I, I should have mentioned earlier, actually, you, you've, you've just done a book launch here at, at CAS, which is why we're all, all sat talking uh, late into the evening now. Um, but 
when you see um sport I, I always have this thing about bringing everything back to to watching football or, or soccer for our, our, our american listeners um but but you often hear commentators when they see a player do something amazing on the pitch and all the experts go oh you just can't teach that you can't coach that that that's just a natural talent that, that was obviously obviously there and i'm just wondering whether or not you think some people are just born creative and, and the reason why i ask that is i've, I've personally been in so many brainstorms where you know you've you've the brief has come through and you've gathered everyone in the team and, and you said right let's let's start you know thinking of some ideas and I know this comes back to not having creativity on demand but anyway so you're standing there you're coming up with some some ideas and then someone comes up with something amazing you just sit there and you turn around and go wow how, you know where does that come from I'm just intrigued to know what, what your thoughts are sorry very long question but Claire go on you go you go for that one I think a massive part of that is about confidence. So actually, when you talked about a skilled soccer player, you know, that's about somebody who knows that they're at their top of their game, they're fit, they can do whatever they want to do, but that has not come by accident. They're not sitting on their bum eating chips and drinking beer every night. They are disciplined, they're practicing, they've shot that goal thousands of times, if not in their head, if not physically, before they actually get on the pitch. And the same thing is true of creativity, which I do think is a bit of myth-busting for the whole industry, which is, I'm exactly with you. I've sat in agencies and I've worked agencies where there have been um, and I have to say mainly men mainly male creative directors who will sit there will look like they're plucking an idea out of the sky and then they'll come out with an absolute crack hot idea but actually part of that is about their confidence to come to actually articulate the idea sometimes it's not fully formed as Jerry said earlier it's not fully formed it's just a piece or a starting point of an idea and then they toss that they pitch it to someone else and they can develop it or actually what's been going on is that person has actually been, their unconscious mind has been mulling on the problem and chewing over it because they had the brief before you did or because their unconscious mind has joined joined dots so they actually had a bigger frame of reference on the world. And actually just to your point about whether you know, creativity is, is nature or nurture, you only have to look at a bunch of children doing things, you know, three, four-year-olds, they don't know what's not possible. So they make combinations, they will draw the sky pink. And then someone will say to them, it's not supposed to be pink. They don't know it's not supposed to be pink. So I think we all have it in us. It just, over a period of time, our education and our upbringing and our experiences start to pigeonhole us in a way that when you're young, they, you just don't. So do, you, do you think like it can be taught out of us? There's, an, there's a brilliant, obviously a very famous TED talk by Ken Robinson talking about education and the way you... you, you know. Yeah, yeah no, I absolutely, absolutely think it can be taught out of us. And actually, yeah. there are quite a lot of studies that show that three, four, five, six-year-olds, actually, if you look at their creative output, it's what you would call genius level. And then actually, if you test them again at 11, um, actually, it's something like only two or three percent of them have that. It's not because they didn't have it in the first place, because they now don't believe in themselves yeah. as creative individuals. So I absolutely believe that. Yeah, I completely agree with with everything that, that Claire said. I think there's um, something else that's important to say, though, um, which is that, look, everybody can be creative, but some people make a living at it. And whatever profession you may be in where that is you, what you do, that's the muscle that you exercise, it isn't, it, it isn't easy to say, well, how much of that's innate in somebody there, you know, and, and, and is bred in the bone, and how much of that is hard work and repetition and learning. But there are some attributes, there are some ways of being in the world that make it a lot easier to be creative that Claire talks a lot about. And sometimes... Um, they are so predisposed in people or they are so present in people that they feel like they must just be part of that person. Um, I, I know, for example, 
some things come easier to me than others, um, as we've all probably experienced. Um, and it doesn't mean, because I think also it's very easy to say, oh, so-and-so is creative, you know, or so-and-so is smart. is like a classic one that gets chucked around, I suppose, a lot with younger people. And what we all know is it's contextual, you know, because you're, you might be able to apply your mind to, a creative, to creative problem solving in one area, but you're completely foxed if you try to turn it in another way. I mean, I work with people who are all creative quite profoundly as a baseline, but then in different ways. Some are creative with human beings in thinking about relationships, nurturing, building relationships. Others are creative with, you know, creative with interpreting data. Others are creative with a film camera or a microphone like yourself and can pull stories out of people that most of us didn't know were there. So uh, there's something about, um, back to we were talking about culture. Um, if you see everybody as not creative and robotic and you say it's a precious thing that only a few people have, then it's only going to exist like that. If you believe creativity is in all of us all you know, and everybody has a way to be inventive, then you'll find that. I think so. So on that on that point, actually, that leads me on nicely onto my next question, actually, because mm -hmm. Sarah, you, you talked through a number of, of um, tools uh, in one of the, the sections within oh. within the book um, that can help bring this creativity out. Do you think that's where that that comes into play then? In, you know, to rather than you know being in environments that stifle some of that creativity, but you know, is, are there any particular mm. tools that you can? So that there is some research on kind of social factors that come into play when people are being creative in a kind of group context. So um, there are um, so phenomena that have been observed called uh, appre evaluation apprehension, where people are kind of too scared to say anything because they think their ideas will be poorly evaluated. And there's things like production blocking, where one person kind of takes the pen or holds the floor and won't let other people kind of get a look in. So there are um, social phenomena that can um, block creativity in a, in a group setting. And there's kind of interesting challenges around the design of digital tools to support creative processes um, involving what, how, how do you kind of mitigate against some of those um, social factors. So, for example, in an um, electronic brainstorming system, if you're trying to kind of get over evaluation apprehension, then one thing you might consider doing is making ideas that are contributed anonymous so people aren't scared to contribute their ideas because no one could see it's their idea. They yeah. just put it in there yeah. and that's... Um, so, so there's kind of interesting things to think about when you're designing digital tools to support creative processes um, to, yeah, as you say, sort of help everyone get their say. Um, Claire, within the book, you, you set your readers um, quite a lot of tasks and experiments. And I was just wondering if there are any particular ones that you personally always turn to, you know, when you're running your, your training. Yes, yeah, so there, in the book there are about 25 different tools in the toolkit chapter, which actually in itself is a, is a sort of way of, if you've got a blank page, it's like from the blank page to idea generation to evaluating, as Sarah just talked about. Um, there, there are two or three that are always my go-to processes, but I think the really important thing here is not necessarily, I think often people have a lot of good ideas, and often I'll go and work with individuals or organisations, so it's not, their problem is not that they don't, they have a lack of ideas, it's actually that they don't know how to either filter those ideas or how to manage the process, and often 
it's about going back to the beginning and saying what is the problem that we're trying to solve and I think if I if I had to give one piece of advice it would be really about getting the problem statement right working out exactly what it is that you're trying to solve because you you know we've all been in that scenario where we go into a meeting or a brainstorm we all start brainstorming something and everyone's looking at each other going we're not getting the right answer but is that because we either don't have enough information or the question's not right um, so actually questioning the questioning which sounds like a pretty philosophical thing but there's a really easy tool that you can use which is gaining a lot of traction actually which is rather than thinking about something as brainstorming is thinking about it as question storming so go into a brainstorm with for 20 minutes and think about every single possible question you could ask about the challenge or the topic as opposed to trying to answer it and then group and prioritize your questions and see where that takes you I kind of think of it like Sherlock's crazy wall you know where Sherlock's got all this information on the wall and he's trying to make sense of it and so actually that whole part of the process then puts from your conscious mind into your unconscious mind to try and prioritize what's important but I think question storming is a really interesting take on you know the 1950s process of brainstorming that's very interesting first time I've actually heard that so very good um Jerry Jerry uh, I, I mentioned earlier I read a few of the chapters um in my research before before uh, doing this podcast I will obviously finish the book afterwards um, but you're quoted in the section of the book that talks about the element CO um, which is uh, courage um, so well that, <laughs> that's what I thought um, but I wanted to ask you what's the most courageous thing you've done since setting up unity and what was the impact it had on the business but also on, on you personally it's a, it's a great question well I suppose the, the the ones I can talk about in in, in polite society are would be first of all we um we decided to completely reinvent the planning function and indeed the way that we thought about what pr is so we said well actually it should be about humans and it should be about um trying to make humans happier trying to increase human happiness and so we didn't really know how to do that as a science so we went and brought in at great expense when we were a startup business uh, 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 someone with a PhD in social psychology to set up our planning function and that you know was pretty scary for us um, and we learned a ton of stuff which is absolutely at the bedrock now of our business um, but it was really it was pretty courageous I think to, to do that make that investment but also to go completely against the grain of the whole industry which is predicated on the, the whole of the PR industry and the whole of the advertising industry and marketing as a discipline is pretty much still built on behaviorism so built on you know Skinner's boxes and you know watch what the target audience does rather than saying what do people want out of life what does an employee want mm. every day when they come to work um, and how can they be happier at work it's not a question that fits into very many briefs. So we kind of started with that. That was that was really courageous, I think. The other thing then building on that is um, bringing in completely different disciplines to see if that could change, get us out of our rut uh, of thinking. So we, we brought um, product design into what is essentially a service industry. And it was fantastic because they had a completely different process. They thought in a different way and completely energized the way we, we worked and the way we responded to briefs and still does. So that was good. And the impact on you personally? The impact on me personally was I took just great satisfaction from work and felt uh, invigorated uh, and, and, and rich in the way you do when you fall in love. <laughs> Lovely. Um, yeah. Oh, 
Brilliant. Um, okay, competition time. Uh, so as I said, this is a first for, for the series. Um, now Claire has kindly agreed to give away a signed copy of the book. Uh, so you've now got a chance of winning it. So very uh, simple rules. Firstly, you need to follow the show on Twitter. We've got to find a way of getting more people to follow us, you see. Um, what I was listening, one of the things you talked about was leadership and you need followers. So um, if you first of all need to uh, follow at C-Suite Podcast and then you need to tweet us the answer to the question that Claire is about to set. And you've got until midnight GMT on uh, Friday the 20th third of february to get your answer to us um so obviously if you're listening to the podcast after that date on um, then please don't enter but of course you can still follow us on twitter now now just uh, for the formalities there are t's and c's um on csweetpodcast.com so claire over to you what is the question how many creative elements are there in the book that's pretty simple i think we may have already mentioned it and i'm sure i will do so again but uh, there you go so how many uh, creative elements are there in the book um okay now time for a question for uh, or from one of our listeners actually and uh, in fact a previous guest of the show this is from keith lewis social media manager at zurich insurance and uh, keith i said promised him i'd uh, give him a, a shout out uh, so his handle on twitter is at keith lewis comms um keith actually submitted this via our facebook page which of course uh, we'd love more listeners to like so just search this week podcast on facebook and and you can find it but anyway Keith's question is for Claire and he has asked uh, we're all so busy uh, doing what we do uh, writing copy managing uh, stakeholders usual corporate stuff that creativity time is spread very thin what's the one piece of advice you'd give to a comms team to fix the mindset um, and one piece of advice to fix the practicality of what we're facing Um, so Claire what's your response to that So I touched on it earlier when I was talking about the unconscious mind, but I think it's really important for any team not to think about creativity that sits in a box, that's something that you go and do when you have a brainstorm or when you need to be creative, and is to think about it as something on a day-to-day basis that you're constantly thinking about new and interesting ways to do things. So one way of doing that is, and a really simple, straightforward thing to do, is just to make sure that whatever challenge or task that you want to work on, if you are going to all get in a room together and talk about it, is to plant that problem statement at least one day before um, circulate it to everybody in fact even better write it if you had sh- have shared space in the office write it on a whiteboard or a blackboard or somewhere in the office you know where people have um, uh, in the kitchens a really great place I think to actually encourage creative uh, your unconscious mind as well as your conscious mind is you know if you're going to make a cup of tea five times a day and waiting for the kettle to boil for three minutes that's 15 minutes you could be thinking about being creative but if you just plant the idea there when I, when I worked in it at the last agency I worked in we created whiteboards everywhere and we just planted big questions that we wanted people to think about consciously and unconsciously in places where they were and what was really interesting about that was it it de-siloed the business it meant that someone in accounts could come up with a great idea for somebody who was thinking about something somewhere else without even thinking about it so you don't have to think about it as you know brainstorm room one five minutes we've got to get in there and be creative it's about trying to integrate it into your day so to in answer of Keith's question it's not about more time, it's about better and more effective use of the time that you've got. I hope that answers uh, the, the question there, there Keith. Now, um, within, within the book, and uh, we, we mentioned this before, but um, there's 62 elements. Now, you, I, I, you may have mentioned earlier that obviously you had others there that you were thinking of. Um, when you look at the original periodic table, it's now got over 100 and there's new elements being discovered. Are you going to discover more elements? And is that a, a cue for a second book, maybe? Mm. 
I'm not sure about the second book because even though I'm not married, I think that would lead to some kind of divorce or separation um, based on the feedback on the first from the first time. But um, that, I think that's a bit of a way off. But actually, it's a really interesting point because I think it is partly about, you know, so much has been discovered um, about how we are creative, particularly in relation to neuroscience, actually. So the neuroscience chapter is full of very new and interesting research about what's going on in our brains when we're being creative. So in terms of new elements, I'm sure there will be things that become um, discovered about how we're being creative by neuroscientists like live MRI scanning for example of our brains when we're being creative is only something that's really been able to happen in the past five or so years so really getting a handle on that um, so the improvising mind for example the prolific mind some of the things that Ben Martin Oga talks about are only things that have really been discovered in the past few years about what's really going on so for sure I'm sure people will read the book and think well what about this element or that element um, I try to take what I'd learned everything I'd learned on the Michael and apply that knowledge but for sure, I think things will change and evolve. If we'd done this 50 years ago, that table would have looked really different to how it looks today, and I'm sure it will will change. So, talking of the table, um, there's obviously, uh, as you said, 62 elements in there. Um, Jerry, if you had to mm. create a formula out of that uh, for your success at Unity, what elements would, would be in it? And I'm guessing, I was thinking about uh, you know chemical uh, formulas, mm. so LR2, uh, given that you have... Uh, you know, co-founders there. Yes. Um, so two leaders, but yeah. yeah you know, what 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 else uh, would you include? Yeah, it's a good question. Well, look, I should say it's very important. I'm sitting here taking all the credit for all the the kind of creativity that comes out of Unity. Nick Govier, who's who's the co-founder, is is right up there with the most creative people I know and have ever worked with. And but more importantly, I think as you say, what we've tried to do is to create an environment where um, people can. Uh, flex that muscle people can be happy being creative and do it more often and have confidence and not have that thing that you were talking about I can't remember the term but it's a good one of of panicking when you get handed the microphone because you, you, you do, you're worried about censure um, so I think uh, you know the big ones love and trust and um, curiosity and play um, play is underrated maybe um, in fact I just tip into the the corporate, the question from the man who's saying, like, how do we get more creative? Just goof off occasionally. Don't tell your boss and go to the go to the pub together. Go, you know, go go for lunch. Use your allotted hour for lunch that nobody uses anymore, and just um, enjoy each other's company and don't talk about work because suddenly you'll go, oh, you see that thing that's been bugging us? We know the answer now. And the reason you know the answer is because you do what we all do. You just take a break from it. Um, but work is such a pressure cooker of a place these days. Um, you have to have fun. Um, the places that are wildly successful creatively are fun places. Sarah, Sarah you're nodding away there. I was, I was wondering about sort of what elements are brought into the course here, actually. Um, oh, goodness. Uh, many. <laughs> so it, I had some really interesting conversations earlier about um, kind of so what's taught in the course and what um, is in the book and how they kind of relate. So I think Claire's done a really great job of kind of drawing on um, the theory and the practice. Um, so and the experience, both personal and from all of the people that you've interviewed, which is which is really great to see how that's kind of morphed um, some of the pure academic theory sort of thing. So yeah, that's lovely. I was mainly smiling because my kind of recommendation earlier on. So what would you do to be more creative? Is do less, better invest more time in yourself. So I think I very much kind of echo what you're saying about, yeah, just go to the pub, take a lunch break. I, this is all good, yeah. You're listening to the C-Suite Podcast. To listen to all previous shows in the series, 
you can either visit csweetpodcast.com, follow us on SoundCloud, or subscribe to the show in iTunes by searching for the C-Suite Podcast in the iTunes store. Please do give us a positive rating and review when you do. Jerry, I was intrigued by the part of the book where you um, say that in your really early days, you offered to test stuff for clients mm. at, at half rates yeah. and that you'd learn together and, and do it out of the glare of the public eye. I was, yes. I was just wondering what brands went for that, if you're allowed to say, um, but also is this something you still offer as, as an option? Yeah, it's a really good question. I'm smiling because I probably shouldn't say which brands went for it, but <laughs> what, I, what I should also say is that, frankly, a lot of the stuff we were doing was, you know, half price and uh, experiment because we were we were kind of learning as we were going. Um, but we were good at telling people that. And I think, you know, in fact, I was talking to, I won't say who, a very, very big brand the other day. And we were talking about how we how do we do something which is slightly uh, going into uh, outside the comfort zone for them in which they need to do and they need to do it quickly. How do you do it? Well, of course, you test and learn. Test and learn is not a bad idea. It's it's back to that thing. In our in the PR industry, for example, there's nothing like R and D, and it's crazy because it's fa- we are facing in comms a completely new world. Um, there are massive societal changes. I mean, just take social media. You know anybody who tells you they know precisely how to engage uh, through social channels for brands on every aspect of communication is lying, hmm. because nobody knows. And we're still figuring it out. And so to be able to create an environment where a client says, okay, I get it. You guys know some stuff. I trust you that much. Let's test and learn. Um, it's, it's, it's good. So we've taken that forward. In the early days, it was there. And we did have some clients buy into it. And it worked for certain kinds of clients who were very uh, interested in innovation and learning. But we've taken it as a product now. And it is essentially a proof of concept product where you either have got uh, a client with a problem and no one has to, no one has cracked it, or you need to deal with a kind of systemic issue which isn't going away. And you know it's you can't solve it in one go. Yeah. So let's try different stuff. And so it, it's there. Is it, it proved to be really useful. Um, and it's not, you know, it's really common sense. Excellent. Um, Sarah, we, we may have touched on this a little earlier, but you contributed to a section on technology in the future, um, and you listed a whole load of, of um, top tools that support creativity. And I must admit, I was, as I was reading through them, I hadn't heard of most of them, so I've got a lot of research to, to do myself. But could you talk us through, you know, just a, a few of your favorites maybe that, that you think people should be, you know, listening to this podcast should need to go out and check out straight away? Sure, yeah. I mean, I think basically the answer is going to be different for every individual and team and organization. So that's quite a big question. I think for a long time to come, it's going to be a question of finding what's the best balance between the human capabilities and the digital capabilities, what's the best balance between the physical and the digital. So all of these things are are going to be different for different individuals and teams. Um, Some of the tools that I guess I um, appreciate for particular um, purposes, um, so for project management, I I quite like Trello. Um, I, I think that fits that sits comfortably with a kind of creative um, organizational climate kind of open and flexible um, in terms of project management Um, then if we look at searching for information uh, there's a lovely tool called uh, Yesarian Lives uh, which um, sort of builds on metaphor and associative thinking in searching for new information rather than kind of trying to zero in on precisely the information you want it kind of gives you a range of stuff to think about 
Um, and then I should mention, of course, uh, one of the tools developed in-house here at um, CAS, the BrightSparks tool, which um, is, has been designed perhaps for use in the creativity workshop to implement the Hall of Fame technique by helping people to kind of think about, well, how would, how would this different persona think about the problem that you're trying to tackle? How would Superman think about this? Um, for me, that's one that's been quite effective in creative workshop contexts. Excellent. I like the way you, you managed to get a plug in there for something <laughs> that uh, you've developed here. Well done. Um, okay. Uh, I, I know we're, we're late into the evening now. We've, we've probably only got this room for a couple more minutes. So I've got my final question to Claire. Um, and that is, when you wrote the book, that there must have been times when you yourself were sat there you know stuck for creative ideas so out of all your own tips um, that you've talked about in the book what did you use to get yourself back on track yeah it's a really good question so um, really you could boil down the entire book really the 62 elements actually and, and a lot of the things in relation to creativity to two things which is stimulus and state management so the stimulus the sort of thing that, that Sarah just talked about which is a tool that helps you get out of your own head and into someone else's for example or helps stimulate new new lines of thought there are loads of tools that can do that um, and and I think just as we talked about earlier just getting out of your own comfort zone out of your own space and getting stimulus you know I haven't yet been to the new design museum for example but I'm really excited about going there and I'm organizing field trips to go there because I think it's that's just stimulus to help you think about something differently but um, a bit of a sort of guilty secret really about my own creative processes is, is that I can, if I'm feeling really a bit miserable in need of some grit, one of the elements, or we're feeling really stuck, then um, I stick on some Beyonce and I move basically. And you don't want to see it. No one wants to see that. Even my husband and my child don't want to see that. But um, that's what I do. I kind of, I just, I either move. And actually, I, I'm, I'm sort of um, joking about it. But I either kind of dance around my office a little bit and hope that no one's looking, which they're not. Or I go for a walk. I literally take my own medicine and I go for a walk. And guaranteed that that movement will actually change something in your physiology. So you've got those two things, though. There's two principles of state and stimulus. Do something to one of those and something will move. I, I hope for your sake no one catches that on camera and <laughs> posts on social media. Um, before we finish off, if our listeners aren't lucky enough to win a copy of the book, um, here's your opportunity. Uh, where can they go and buy a copy? So the book's published by Kogan Page and you can find it at their website. Um, you can also find it on Amazon.com and um, I'm pleased to say in um, lots of different um, books, uh, bookshops on the high street, so in Waterstones, um, uh, Foils or anywhere like that. So, yeah. Brilliant. Good stuff. Uh, Claire Bridges, uh, Jerry Hopkinson and Dr. Sarah Jones, thanks uh, for joining the show. Don't forget that competition to win Claire's book closes on the 23rd of February, and that's this year, 2017, as who knows when you might have downloaded this podcast. Um, also, just a quick reminder that if you want to contact me on Twitter about the show, I'm at Russ Goldsmith. And also don't forget that there are 35 previous shows in the archive on SoundCloud, iTunes and TuneIn. So just search for C-Suite Podcasts and any of those. Um, but please do subscribe and give us a positive rating and review particularly on iTunes as that will help us climb up the podcast charts and of course for Claire's benefit that means more people get to hear about her new book um, and finally there's a link from the SoundCloud channel to our Facebook page so please do like that too and get involved in the conversation and discussion about this and any previous shows that's all for now thanks again to all my guests and uh, thanks for listening and goodbye <laughs>